Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The group of death is underway and it did not disappoint. France and Portugal off the mark, but a night of great entertainment at the Euros. We will dissect all of that in detail in today's match day edition of the Gagan Pod. But we'll also take a look at some Australian football results with the Matildas and the Socceroos in action, and we will look ahead to tomorrow's fixtures. Can't wait to talk about it. Let's get into it. Nobody has scored more goals in the competition than Ronaldo, and nobody has scored more goals in the finals than Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, some great action overnight, as we've now seen all the teams involved in the Euros. The first match day is done, so there is a lot to look back on and reflect and look forward. We'll also have a look at some Australian football results today as well with the Socceroos and Matildas playing overnight. David Winner with you once again, joined by Nick Stoll. Again, welcome back, Nick, our digital football pr- uh, writer, journalist, producer, everything else. Who I'll do come, it all. If a you couple of, me, I'll do anything. <laughs> well, you have been doing it all because a couple of days focusing on the Copa America, pumping out some articles on that. We've got you back on the podcast deck today. How'd you enjoy your, your deadline experience today on France against Germany? Well, it was an epic game. It was it was. Difficult to fit as all the things that were happening in the game into the match report. There was so much going on. Obviously, uh, Thomas, as you were talking about post game, you know there were there was the the brilliance of uh, Pogba and Mbappe. There were there was Hummels' issues. There was tactics. There was there was the parachuting uh, protesters. There was you know Rudiger having a nibble on uh, Pogba. Everything was happening in today's game. So a wonder a wonderful start to the day. It's good stuff, Thomas. Welcome back. Great to have you again. How are you holding up once again? What a great night of action and uh, France. They showed that they got a bit going for them. Yeah, not a um, you know as much quality as they have. I also said that on the post match. So they also frustrate me because <laughs> you know they sit back and and you know they they're just winners. You know and and Deschamps got them playing. They you know they they can sort of adjust to whatever they play. You know you will see them expand in other games where they you know where they need to. Uh, but then again, when they got that pace on 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 counter, you know with. With obviously Mbappe being the main man, and we saw him again today. He could have had a couple of goals. He had one disallowed. He had a you know great pass uh, to Benzema that was disallowed as well. And then uh, you know um, that's you know th- then you can do that because you you know out of nothing you can just score. And and then they play with discipline. So yeah, you can't fault the world champions, even though. Uh, yeah, you, you, you can get frustrated. Where do you think it was won and lost, Nick? Because uh, Tom Thomas alluded to the variety they have, the fact that, you know, had they not scored early, maybe they wouldn't have camped so deep and put in that block and went, well, we know we can get you, and when you come, we're going to get you on the counterattack. So where do you think it was won and lost today? Well, I mean, I think, and as you guys were saying in the coverage, it's the fine margins. You know, this could have very easily, given a few centimetres, been 3-0, 
or it could have very easily been 1-1. So it was it was a fantastic uh, morning. But for me, actually, one of the big standouts was Paul Pogba's performance. I thought he was immense, both in an attacking sense. We saw that wonderful pass, the way he held off the two defenders, the chip ball with the outside of the foot. It's kind of all these qualities in one moment there, you know, the, the, the technique, the strength, the composure, um, but also in the defensive sense as well. He had uh, more jewels won. I think he had more ball recoveries. So a, a fantastic all-round performance from a player who, you know, for Manchester United has, has had up and down, really inconsistent performances. I, I thought there were mesmerising moments. When you talk about um, being an unlocker defence, when France played with the defence in front of them, Pogba did exactly that for that opening goal. Before we come to you, Thomas, we're fortunate today, today again to get some thoughts from The Athletic over in the UK. Uh, fine, the best journalism on the planet, the best football journalism on the planet, and we're fortunate to hear from them daily on the Euros edition of The Gagapod. Today, it's their senior football writer, Oliver Kay, who had this to say about Paul Pogba. Pogba just seems more... I don't know, engaged when he's playing for France, switched on. I don't think it's just a positional thing or a tactical thing. It looks like it's more about focus and application. And I think having Kante alongside you would do that to you. But that pass in the build-up to the goal was just beautiful. I can't believe the way he hit it. It was like a golf shot, really. He sort of hit it with the top of his boot in a way where it just didn't move in the air at all. And yet it just dropped and spun perfectly into the path of Lucas Hernandez whose cross was sliced in by the unfortunate Hummels for an own goal. It's funny watching social media, Thomas, because I think watching the debate about Pogba was very much the uh, rollercoaster of emotions that we had in the studio trying to dissect him because there was a period in the second half where he did turn a fair bit of ball over. But I do wonder, is that, a, is that a sign of the willingness he's got to get on the ball and play for France? Uh, in the cold light of day now that we've had a bit of time to think about the game, what, what do you make of his performance? you still think... Uh, polarising for you as well, or, or, or maybe he, he, he might be again at his very best for France? No, I think he, he's definitely very good for France. Um, you know, I think the balance is right. You know, you, you know you've got Kante next to you. You know, he's going to swoop everything up that you miss, and, and it allows him to express himself a bit more, to go a bit more forward. Yeah, what frustrates me is you can just see the immense talent. And sometimes he sort of feels like he goes through the motions. Like you said, there was a periods in in the game where you know he looked a little bit disinterested but then he has his moments like the two offside goals that comes from his pass mm. you know we talked about that fantastic pass to, to Hernandez that ends up in 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 the back of the German net you know so yeah man of the match um and you know, he's a lot more influential for France than he is for Man United, definitely. So there's a little stat, or a fairly significant stat, I should say. When Kante and Pogba played together for France, they've done it 22 times. Uh, they, sorry, they've won 22 times. They've drawn six times. How many losses do you reckon? I'm going to say zero because I saw this stat before the game. Yeah, a big fat donut. Now, everyone, I think it's, it's, it's inevitable that it's going to happen. Why doesn't he do this for United? Why doesn't he do it all the time? But I think that stat might be a little bit of a taster of why it is it's that it's that balance they've got in midfield at the moment it's Kante himself and Rabiot um, and and that might speak quite a fair bit to why he's able to produce this every single time he plays for France yeah pretty much every centre midfielder that has played alongside Kante has looked quite good (laughs) I would love to play alongside (laughs) Kante he's such a fantastic player but one thing I think is interesting when you kind of look back and you know why was Pogba so good at Juventus back in the day well he played in a midfield three and that's what he doesn't quite do at Manchester United, which I th- think is interesting. France have got him playing in a three, whereas often with United, he's in a two with Bruno Fernandes in front of them. So I wonder, you know, does Solskjaer look at this and go, can I get the best out of Pogba by playing a three? But then does that affect how Bruno Fernandes is going to play? So big questions that you have to weigh up. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly what's best for them, but it'll be interesting to see what he does. 
balance is good with, with the France side. What did you make of them overall um, in terms of the way that, you know, we, we saw the integration of uh, Karim Benzema as well. Um, Rabio seems to add a nice amount of balance to the side too. Overall, your assessment of where they are at the first impressions? No, a fantastic start. Um, you know, they can just win in so many ways. And uh, we saw today, very defensive at points in the second half. It looked like uh, Spain against Sweden because <laughs> the France <laughs> players were standing in their own box. Uh, but then out of nothing, they, they obviously uh, get the two disallowed goals. And, and you, you sort of could always, they always felt a little bit more dangerous than, uh, than the Germans. And um, yeah, that little bit of quality. You talked about it. We talked about it in a post-match show. That was the difference. You know, they, they, they just seem to have that X factor that mm. uh, the Germans lacked. Deschamps doesn't care if he sits back as well because you've got Mbappe. We talk about X factor and quality. My goodness, the guy is almost... I felt sorry for Hummus who'd made that miraculous last-ditch tackle. It looked like they were on two different treadmills. One was going at 21, another one was going at 6. Well, actually, it reminded me of a, you know another battle between a young kind of pacey superstar and an ageing defender, which was you know Gareth Bale v. Um, Mike Conn back in the day in the Champions League in 2010. And that was a, a game that almost ended Mike Conn's kind of reputation. You know, He was this amazing defender you know, the year before and then Gareth Bale just sped past him. It almost was going to be like that for Mats Hummels. It could have been like that. He scores the own goal. He nearly gives away the penalty. On, on the offside as well, he was out of position. It could have been a game which you say, Mats Hummels is done at this level. Now, luckily for him, he's just got a boot in and probably held on to his career for now. But it was an incredible, exciting performance. Germany... So you talk about ending, I mean, Matt Hummels was recalled as one of the, the, the last-ditch efforts from Jogi Lowe along with Thomas Muller to try and get something out of his last tournament. What did we make of Germany? Because uh, the context of this answer also has to be Portugal's result against Hungary in a tight group. Um, they've got a lot of work. It was a good performance, but they've got a lot of work to do now. Yeah, and no, I think what's against them is also the way the games have fallen. You know, now they play Portugal in the next game. They'll, they'll play at home like they did, um, you know, this morning. Uh, in Munich, you know, but if they don't get a result in that one, yeah, that, that, that last game against Hungary might not matter and, and they might have to win, you know, three or four nil. And, and you can see even this morning, Hungary is, you know, it's not, they're, they're a tough side to play against. I think Portugal scraped over the line and, and, and could have lost if everything had gone Hungary's way. So, you know, it, it's, they have to find goals. Um, you know, the few chances they had, um, you know, Nabri had, you know, Good, good chance that he missed. And um, they need to find something from somewhere. But but I think they showed plenty that, 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 that they're, they're not panic stations mm. yet. What do, we, what, what do we make of their approach? What do we think that the German press will be saying as we, as we speak now? Because um, it, it, it was a, a good performance, but they did lack something. Now, I don't know whether that was something that they lacked, whether it was France's defence is so pragmatically or, and... and superbly organised and disciplined uh, probably somewhere in between but um, I, I just felt like it was almost a little bit of a last ditch from, from, from Lohr, who Germany have always had pace they've always played with quickly here it was um, back three bit deeper lots of possession but Havertz was in there so they didn't have this it was just felt like they're going to have to fill their way in and will they have enough time to do so I think the disappointing thing with when changes were actually made um, you know you got Sane came on Werner came on and actually, I think they went backwards from there. I think they, none of them made a, an impact. And, and that, that was disappointing because you, you're looking to inject the pace. You saw what happened in the Portugal game. They made two changes, and that changed the game for them. Yeah. Didn't happen with the Germans. Can I ask, was it uh, the fact of that a tactical thing? And like, well, it's obvious they're the two players Lerva is going to go to off the bench because he's their two we bench weapons. But when France are camped so deep, 
what are Sane and Werner who love to get behind going to do? That's what I meant by it's kind of mixed messages. We're so used to seeing Germany play with someone who can get in behind with pace, challenge the defence, but it was like they played their plan B and they couldn't go back to that because they're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, I think there's definitely uh, some t- tactical questions. Um, maybe tinkering with the formation would have would have been a better solution than, than actually just changing personnel in the same uh, setup. And, um, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes, I think over the last couple of years, I think Lerv has come unstuck with either the formation, because he switched from a back four mm-hmm. to a back three just leading into this yeah. tournament. And, uh, yeah, so... You know, I think that's where the question marks will be. There's individual quality there, but as a team, you know, I think there's still got ways to go. One thing I was going to say as well is a very interesting visual that we saw during the match, which was Hansi Flick sitting behind. Oh, yeah. Lowe. Yeah, I didn't uh, see that. Yeah, so on, on the bench, you know, Joachim Lowe's there. And then just behind him in the stands is Hansi Flick, who's going to, you know, once was his assistant, is going to take over the national team after this tournament. I don't know if that's helping, you know, if that's putting out a lot of pressure. I reckon he helped in 2006 just quietly. So maybe he was hoping to get a bit of that back in his whispering in his ear today. It's true. I don't know. Maybe he was even giving advice. But uh, yeah, it was a strange one. One thing I think is really interesting watching this game and also watching the Poland game yesterday, is I feel like Thomas Muller misses Lewandowski, who he has at a club level, and Lewandowski misses Thomas Muller. Good shout. That, that, repu- uh, that relationship is so good for Bayern Munich, but both players need the other one to make the runs for the space to open up. And I look at this Germany team and I think, well, Thomas Muller, he scored a lot of goals we know at World Cups, but he always had like a Miroslav closer mm. up top to, to maybe take those players away to open up the space. Nabry isn't that type of player. He's not that fixed number nine. And I wonder if Germany really need that type of player to mm. make the breakthrough. Which they don't necessarily have. And there's a big reliance on, on Muller to come in and provide that intelligence in those spaces and things like that. So, yeah, just feeling like they're in between what the actual blueprint is and will they have time to figure out over the next few days? I'm not so sure. Before we, we move on, uh, Antonio Rudiger, you mentioned him at the start. Um, probably how they might have been going to get a packet of chips at that point or something. I don't know. Uh, that was so odd. You know what? I love a good football villain. I love a Suarez. I love a Diego Costa. Can we add Rudiger to the list? Oh. Wearing a mask. So he already looks... No, Rudiger. I think Rudiger's working his way into that list. Yeah, R- Rudiger is the perfect villain. But taking a little nibble out of Paul Pogba's shoulder. I mean, you know, I, we all like a bit of lamb shoulder. But that was something completely different. Thomas, what did you make of that? Uh, definitely unnecessary. Um, I, I, I don't know what the thinking is behind it. You know, you know, you know, a little bit. I've stepped on a few toes, but <laughs> at least that's out of the camera. But here, you know, nobody's going to miss that. Yeah. And well, someone know, did because nothing happened to it. I was no, surprised. but I, I, I'm thinking. You know, could you potentially be punished afterwards? Because surely that's not what you want to see. I kind of made light of it on air, and the more I watched it again after, I was like, actually, he's um. He's gone in for a good little nudge there, so we'll see what happens if anything more comes of that. Final word of the game. Thanks again to Oliver Kay for his thoughts. We'll see what um, his final appraisal of the contest was. They weren't necessarily at their best, but it was an ominous sign, really, the way they were able to beat Germany without even hitting top gear. It felt like that at times in the last World Cup, like you wanted more from some of those players individually because you know how good they are. But collectively, they're just so strong. I've always felt that a team to beat at these Euros despite being drawn in what has been called the group of death and Tuesday's game in Munich just reinforced that view. I actually think they look a better team now than when they won the World Cup three years ago. It's pretty much the same team but Kimpembe seems to, be, to have brought even more solidity and composure to the centre of defence. Kylian Mbappe is a more mature player now and of course they now have um, 
Karim Benzema back from exile as well. It finished 1-0 thanks to the um, unfortunate own goal from Mats Hummels. They'll be worried by another defeat, having had that disastrous World Cup in Russia, but I didn't think their performance was too bad. The balance didn't look quite right in midfield or up front, but there are things that Joachim Löw can do with his squad. He's got talent at his, at his disposal, and they won't have another game as tough as this one. With 16 teams going through from six groups, they do have margin for error. They just need to make sure they get something for that Portugal game on Saturday. So there were some redeeming factors in defeat for Joachim Löw, but he will be concerned about the incident involving Antonio Rudiger later in the first half. TV pictures weren't conclusive, really, but Rudiger did appear to put his teeth onto, rather than into, but onto Paul Pogba's back. Pogba's reaction was that of someone who'd felt someone's teeth on his back. I don't know what you you should do with that. It wasn't the full Luis Suarez on Chiellini or Ivanovic. It was it was um, Roy Keane on TV called it a nibble rather than a bite. I don't know whether the, the VAR saw it and decided to do nothing, or whether you or the whether the UEFA delegate saw it and might recommend some kind of disciplinary action or case. All will become clear, but what is certain is that France march on. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Yeah, so we were blessed this morning to see that game. Uh, that's a bit of a, I think, a taste, an entree to what we're going to see over the next two to three weeks as we get into the business end. Will Germany be there as a result? They've got their work cut out, and that is because, of course, guys, earlier in the day, it was Portugal 3, Hungary 0 in Budapest at a packed, heaving Pushkash Arena. It was a fabulous sight to see. There was one moment in, on the hour mark where the Hungary players were rousing the crowd, and I actually sat there and I went, we have not seen this for 15 months. A team captain able to actually turn to 70,000 people and say, get behind us and cheer us on. And it had a huge impact on the way Hungary played with incredible tenacity and intensity. But in the end, Thomas, Portugal's quality, thanks to Cristiano Ronaldo, the, now the record breaker, the record scorer at the Euros, that was the difference in the end. Yeah, no, he, he was always going to... He had a couple of nibbles in the, in the first half. He probably should have scored. Uh, and you could see his frustration, um, but you can't keep him down for, for 90 minutes. And uh, the way he obviously took the penalty, um, yeah, that's cool, calm and collected. A lot of pressure because he was, he was, he was, he was gunning for Platini's uh, record of, of most goals in the European Championship. And then that last goal, uh, you know... John Aloisi went through it on the post-match show. Um, you know how how he realised space around him. You know how he he sees the keeper and actually makes the decisions. Um, it's it's fantastic. Uh, and he's you know yeah question marks about his age, but but when you got that awareness uh, and he still got the physical abilities, oh, you you can't stop the man and you can't help but admire you know what he does. It was the third goal was mesmerizing for the both the combination play in the lead up, then the finishing at the end. And uh, even though Portugal took some time to wear Hungary down, they could have actually turned the game in the first 10, 15 minutes. And actually, Diogo Jota's finishing was quite wasteful. 
And for the sum of its parts, they showed they can shoot from distance. Fernandez tested Gulachi. They can come in from out wide. Guerrero was dangerous. He ended up getting the deflection for the opening goal. They had options off the bench. The options off the bench changed the game. Rafa Silva and Renato Sanchez. Of course, Ronaldo was, was busy. Bernardo Silva was busy. Um, probably Jota, maybe the one disappointment perhaps. But um, Hungary were tenacious. They were hard to break down for the most part. They were resilient. And that's what makes this group interesting because the group of death was meant to be the three big teams. But it's even more interesting now because what you do against Hungary could dictate whether you get through in the top two or not. Yeah, absolutely. How many goals, you know, if you beat them by, it's going to be a really interesting thing. But I wanted to ask you, as someone of Hungarian descent, what it felt like, you know, watching kind of Hungary at a Euros, a full stadium, like you Mm. said. Uh, To me, it looked incredible. I'm wearing my St. George Budapest (laughs) T-shirt in honour of it. But, you know, a a, a fantastic moment for the nation, even if the result wasn't great. And a huge moment because uh, they've put a lot of emphasis on making sure that they could get the full house in there to be sort of the standard bearer and uh, in a, I mean, relatively COVID-safe way in terms of everyone having vaccines and having to take tests before they go to the ground. Um, but in terms of not only um, obviously barracking for when I, somewhere where my grandfather is from, but um, also just the underdog story. We were six minutes away from a fantastic underdog story and they had the ball in the back of the net about two minutes before uh, the first goal, but it was rightly disallowed for offside. So combining the personal feelings of seeing an amazing occasion, amazing emotion, then the underdog story of that, I, for, for 2 a.m. in the morning, I had a great time watching that, that contest. <laughs> and I think we, sh- we should paint a, a little bit of a picture for, for the listeners because Uh-oh. Dave is actually during the game sitting at his desk. And I was sitting in a sofa area watching the game and out of nowhere when the goal goes in, Dave come running in, <laughs> you know, in front of the TV, he's jumping. Uh, and then just to see the face when the goal is disallowed, you know, that was heartbreaking. Uh, but, but, but again, I, how much glory did Hungary as a team and as a country and, and the atmosphere uh, how much glory did they cover themselves in? Fantastic uh, to see. I, I wasn't hiding. I was actually working. That's why I was at my desk <laughs> in my bunker. But I, um, <laughs> I, d- I don't think you saw me when the first goal went in, though. <laughs> I stayed down. I pretended the deadline was more important at that point. Um, any chinks in the armour for Portugal? I think first game, it's not some, you know, you don't say they took our breath away like Italy or they cruised like Belgium. Um, but in terms of building into the tournament, you couldn't ask for much more than have three in the three goals in the bag, three points in the bag with really room to move. No, they're a strong side. Um, You know, Pepe, he keeps doing the job at 38 in the back and and Diaz, obviously. And I think, you know, the the two fullbacks, uh, you know, are getting forward. Um, But I think they're also defensively sound. So, you know, they'll have to, to cope with, you know, better players going forward. But I think overall they kept Hungary reasonably quiet bar a few situations, mainly from set plays and, and that mm. physicality. Um, so a lot of positives. Uh, and as you said, if Jota had been uh, you know, a little bit awake, they, they could have been 2 or 3 nil in the first half and, and it could have potentially been, been a lot more. Exactly. It was great fair this morning. Two really intriguing games in Group F, which lived up to the hype. Next up, it's Portugal against Germany and France against Hungary. That should be fascinating to see. I promised a bit earlier there'll be some Australian football chat in this podcast because earlier today, the Matildas had a nil-all draw against Sweden uh, following their 3-2 defeat to Denmark uh, a few days ago. Socceroos, they notched eight consecutive wins for the first time ever in a World Cup qualifying campaign with a 1-0 win over Jordan with Harry Suter scoring a 77th-minute goal. Nick, that's six goals in five games with a big centre-back, so a different uh, point of difference there for Graham Arnold's side, but it's good to see the Socceroos back in action, good to see them in a 
good mood, a good team spirit. But what's been the biggest takeaway from you from these four games? I suspect it might be a sparkle we actually saw uh, early on in the, in, in the four games. Yeah, um, for me, I'm so impressed with Rustic. Uh, he is a wonderful player. You know, it was his fourth ever game when he played uh, in the opening game against Kuwait. And he did so well. Uh, a magical, wonderful number 10, a real creative spark, something that maybe we've lacked uh, for a little while, you know, as well as, you know, Rogic kind of coming towards the tail end of his career. Moy as well. Obviously, they're not completely gone. Mm. They'll want to win their spot Options. back. But yeah, but it, it's just a fantastic kind of thing to see. And like you say, you know, four wins out of four, the team has done really well, but the bigger test is coming. And Absolutely. That's what we're ready for. First phase is over with 28 goals scored, two conceded over a very long period of time. Uh, Graham Arnold has dished out some debutants in this phase. He's rotated. He's given everyone a look. Trent says we played a bit in midfield today um, and it was his 50th cap as well in that role. So, look, as you said, the bigger test to come. It's just good to see the soccer is back in action. Just good to see international football back in action as well. So, uh, yeah, good to see that. Also, the Matildas as well. And we've got on the line our Optus Sports women's football expert, Samantha Lewis, to talk us through what happened with the Matildas, her impressions as well of these two games because it's early in the Tony Gustafsson era. But we've got some massive games coming up, starting with the Olympics. Sam, hi to you. Thanks for joining us today. Talk us through what happened this morning. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, this morning, the Matildas uh, geared up their preparation for Tokyo with uh, a game against Sweden, world number five, currently in the FIFA rankings. And they came away with the best results so far, a nil-all draw. It was a much improved defensive performance compared to the last three friendlies where the Matildas conceded a pretty concerning 13 goals over the course of three games. So that was obviously something that Tony Gustafsson wanted to address, I think, coming into this particular match, knowing as he's a Swede himself, what this kind of national team has to offer up front. And I think he he really displayed that. Um, He made some interesting tactical decisions with some of the player positionings. Um, And I think it, it largely paid off in a defensive sense. But I think the question for me going forward is, the kinds of compromises that are made uh, in an attacking sense by having to keep some uh, some defensive players a little bit more disciplined, I suppose. Uh, Sam, it's Nick Stoll here. Very good to hear from you. Uh, I just wanted to know what are kind of your big the lessons that you think have been learned from these games. You know, not the greatest of obviously results. Uh, few people be disappointed with the results, but surely Gustafsson's getting a lot of kind of uh, yeah lessons out of these performances. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a lot of sort of key takeaways from uh, these two sort of series of friendlies. So the first series between uh, Germany and the Netherlands and this series between Denmark and Sweden. Um, the two most recent games, I think, were much better holistic performances. And again, like we need to sort of keep in mind that the Matildas haven't played together since they actually qualified for the Olympics over a year ago. And Gustafsson, when he came into this role and when he started to organise these friendlies, he really insisted on trying to play against the best possible opposition in preparation for the Olympics. And I think they've absolutely done that. And even though the Matildas have suffered some pretty uh, interesting score lines, I think that the purpose of the friendlies in getting everybody up to speed, in allowing Tony to see the kinds of players he has at his disposal... Uh, in getting all the players back together again, developing that chemistry, reigniting those bonds, and really starting to comprehend the kind of teams that we're going to be coming up against if we want to go far in these major tournaments. I think all of those things are, are some pretty big learnings um, that we can take from them. And and lastly, Sam, uh, who impressed you? Who are the big winners from this uh, from this game from this series as well? 
Well, from this game this morning, uh, we saw the debut of Tegan Miter, the young goalkeeper who played for Melbourne City last season in the W League. She was incredibly impressive on debut. She was really solid. Uh, she was very um, sort of resolute and just had all the basics down pat, which is really refreshing to see, particularly off the back of the last game against Denmark where Mackenzie Arnold conceded an own goal. So it was really lovely to see Micah uh, just feeling really comfortable and really confident and commanding her area, doing all the things that you would really expect a, a top-quality international goalkeeper to do. So I was really impressed with her. Another standout from today's game as well was Hayley Rasso. Even though she was deployed at more of a sort of a wing-back role, which is unusual for her being a, a pretty quick winger um, for Everton and for the Matildas in the past, she was incredibly disciplined. She was really defensively solid. She uh, led both teams in a number of different defensive statistics. And she was singled out by Gustafsson in the post-match media um, as really embodying the, the kind of style and identity and spirit that he wants the Matildas more generally to be playing with, this kind of never-say-die attitude. And you saw that when she was still sprinting back to make a tackle in the 85th minute, even though she'd been out there the entire game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love seeing those two players today. And, and more generally, I think another player who's really gone under the radar has been Ivy Lewick. Um, she's uh, quite a bit older than most of her teammates. She's in her mid-30s now. But she has been one of the, the most uh, consistent, impressive midfielders, I think, across both series of friendlies. She clocks up incredible kilometres when she plays. She's always where she needs to be. And she's a really experienced and important leader in that space as well, especially considering we have a couple of young midfielders who are coming into the fold, such as Kyra Cooney-Cross and to some extent as well, Mary Fowler. So there are a number of different players who uh, have really impressed. And I think those are the kinds of players that perhaps we didn't expect to impress either, which is, I think, all the better for the Matildas because it shows that we're not just a one-trick pony anymore. Awesome stuff, Sam. Thanks so much for your time today. Look forward to reading your thoughts on the Optusport app as always a little bit later on. Um, and it's always good to get an insight from you on everything to do with the Matildas, the Women's Super League and all the other things you've written for us on Optusport over the last couple of years. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Anytime. So the football continues for us tonight as well, guys. Finland and Russia at 11pm, Turkey and Wales at 2am, and then we'll be back again, Thomas, for Italy, Switzerland tomorrow morning, 5am, Australian Eastern Standard Time. The feast does not stop. What are we looking forward to most tonight? What are the big talking points going to be this time tomorrow? Well, the, the thing I'm looking forward to most is actually hearing uh, Thomas's tips, because I know he's coming third in the Optus tipping competition out of about 100 or 200 people or something. So I want to hear his tips so I can copy it, because I think I'm about in the, the 120 <laughs> The only export expert walking the walk, huh? <laughs> Yeah, no, I've, I've had a bit of luck, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, they, it's fun to have this around. I'm sure everyone out there have got some sort of tipping or fantasy league or something. Uh, just adds a bit of extra uh, fun to, to the Euros. But but back to the, the, the more serious side, you know, my focus will be on, on the, the Russia-Finland game because it's in Denmark's group. Um, mm. And obviously Finland had that surprise win with, with all the circumstances um, and Russia needs to win. So... Uh, you know, with, with Denmark in mind, I'll be interested to see the outcome. That's a huge game for both countries. I mean, Russia was so underwhelming in the first outing, but Finland, who would have come in with hopes, but not high expectations necessarily, could find themselves in a really good box seat to go through, which they is... qualify. 
Yeah, huge night for them. Momentous night for them. And I'm I'm just interested to see whether they touch the ball in the box more than two <laughs> times because they have. You know. well, both teams might not know what to do with the ball tonight because they didn't have much practice in the first game. They just need to touch it seven times in a box and they can win the Euros. That, so that's hey. it. That's it. One per game, exactly. <laughs> the Group A is fascinating because uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Italy get twi- tested or not by Switzerland. I think Mbolo Brion Bolo's performance in the opening game could still, just talk off the top of my head here, which is always a dangerous thing to be doing, um, be the best individual performance of the tournament so far. He was phenomenal in that opening game, but Wales did get a point, and they play Turkey, who, well, they need to improve in the first game. Otherwise, a team that was heralded as a dark horse, sorry, Nick, no, it's okay. could be out. Me and uh, Milsey, me and Milsey. <laughs> could be uh, really up against it after two games, almost out. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, they need to massively improve uh, against Italy. Italy is going to be the interesting one as well because uh, we were very impressed with them against Turkey. But again, this is where the second round is very interesting because you get a sense of, okay, who was good against a bad team and who was good against good teams? You know, you get a sense of, of, of are we reading too much into the first game? But yeah, I, I would agree with you in terms of Imbola. He was uh, outstanding in that opening match. And Mancini thinks there's improvement in Italy. John Aloisi yesterday said, or the other day said he thinks that, relatively speaking, out of all the big teams, all the impressive performances in the first match day, Italy were close to their what we you know what we might expect from them. Do you, which way do you side with the Mancini or with Johnny? No, I definitely think they played to the level you you would expect. Um, you know, um, there's room for improvement, but I think they're playing close to to the the best they 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 can. And and uh, for them, you know, it's about you know those forward players. You know, Immobile. Great that he got the goal, the confidence, because they need that. You know, they, they're very solid as a team. They've got some really exciting Barella in mm. midfield. Obviously, Insigne is, is, is massive for them. Um, and then the back, they haven't conceded in eight games. Mm. You, know, I mean, you know, that's a great start to, to any sort of chance of winning a Euros. Uh, so, yeah, they're definitely up there. And, and it'll be interesting to see this second game. Uh, like you said, Nick, it's... It's going to be uh, fun to see if they can continue. Yeah, another night with really a lot of stakes, a lot of storylines, a lot of potential talking points tomorrow, and I'm really looking forward because I love a I love a clash in styles, contrasting styles, and you get that with Italy and Switzerland tomorrow. One's going to have to you know find a solution to the other. Gents, thanks so much for your time again today. Good fun as ever, Nick. Great to see you. We'll be kicking on with some more words a little bit later today, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Looking forward to it, Thomas. I think uh, a breather for you tomorrow. We'll have John back tomorrow, but thanks for your time over the last couple of days. Great fun on the Open Pod as ever. Good everyone out there. Thanks again for your company today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the hours and hours of coverage on Optus Sport. And as ever, until the next episode of the Gagan Pod, enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.